How's everybody doing this morning? So on Good Friday, we ended the story with uh, Pilate ordering the tomb to be sealed and guarded. And they were concerned that the disciples, as we see on the video, would steal the body of Jesus, uh, telling everyone that Jesus had risen from the dead and thereby making their situation even worse for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So this morning, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to continue with the rest of the story. And we're going to look at Acts uh, chapter 2, verses 22 to 39, and uh, Matthew 28, 1 to 7. But first, I want to give you a bit of background on uh, Acts chapter 2. And um, so, at that time, there were uh, uh, Jews gathered in Jerusalem. Uh, They would have been from just about every place in the world. And they heard this sound the Bible describes. It's, it's the sound of a, of a, of a violent wind. And, and the people would hear the sound and they began to wonder what this sound might be. And you can read that in verse 5 of chapter 2. And so bewildered and curious, they were attracted to this sound, um, you know, wondering where it was coming from. And as they go looking for it, they encounter a bunch of uh, people. It was the disciples along with the rest who had been in the upper room praying. I believe there was about 120 in all. And, and they were acting in a very strange manner. Uh, some thought they were drunk. Even more astounding, they hear them proclaim the glories of God in their own native tongue. And in the crowd, there were Cretans and Arabs, Asians, Egyptians, and more. They went, how is this even possible? How could these Galileans possibly know all these different languages? And so amazed and confused, they begin to ask, what does this mean? And Peter addresses the crowd and he stands up and he begins to explain what was happening. And he talks to them about the promised outpouring of the Holy Spirit and more. Must have been quite a moment. Must have been an amazing moment. Now, at the same time, however, there was another story circulating in Jerusalem. Most residents and visitors, they they knew about the arrest, the trial, crucifixion, and burial of Jesus. And now there were these fantastic rumors out there. Something about Jesus being resurrected. That he had been appearing to his disciples. And then there was this crazy story. Something about guards that were placed in front of the tomb of Jesus, scared out of their wits. Because apparently some angels had come to open the tomb. You know, guards frightened? Think about that for a minute. Guards frightened? I don't know. These guys are supposed to be, you know, tough. And angels? How many of you have ever seen an angel? You know? Come on. I don't know. It's probably his fanatical fathers or uh, followers promoting this stuff. Sounds like fake news to me. Don't you think so? And besides, here's the official story. The official story, the official press release was his disciples came during the night and stole his body. That was the official press release. So let's take a look at what really happened. Matthew 28, and I want to read verses 1 to 7 for you. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven And going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him 
that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And then go quickly and tell his disciples, He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. So the guards, they go and, and report. You can, if I read down to verses 11 to 13, you'll see that the guards reported everything that happened. And the leaders, the Pharisees, say, change your story. They're told to change their story. Change your story and say that the disciples came while you were sleeping and, and, and took the body. Now think about that for a minute. I like what the video said, you know. Think, you know, if, if anything happens, you guys are done. You're dead. Now they're being cha- told, change their story. Put yourself in the guard's position here for a moment. You know, imagine them saying something like, no way, you're crazy. If we tell them we were sleeping on duty, we are done. We're done. And so the chief priests, they, they, they calm them down and they say, so, so, so don't worry, we'll take care of you. Here's a nice payoff and we'll make sure you don't get into trouble. Sure to say the disciples came while we were sleeping. You know, I was thinking about that. These guards witnessed the resurrection of Jesus but accepted a bribe to change their story. I, I, there's a sermon right there, but, uh, you know, think about it. They witnessed the resurrection of Jesus, but they accepted a bribe to change their story. And so the lie begins. There was no resurrection. You know what? And the Bible says that story was circulating throughout Jerusalem and continues to be circulated. You know, that's a much easier story to, to believe, isn't it? The disciples stole the body. It's even a preferred story. Because if we acknowledge that Jesus rose from the grave, that means he is who he said he is. He is who he said he is. And, and what he taught is true. And that I am indeed a sinner and need a savior. So the preferred story is how the disciples, they stole his body. Because that's easier to acknowledge than face the truth that Jesus Christ is who he said he is and that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. You know, very frankly, uh, the disciples even had trouble believing that uh, Jesus had risen. When Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, or mother of James, actually, came back from the tomb and told the disciples what had happened about the angels, their encounter with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. You know what the disciples said? In their grief, they said, this sounds like nonsense. We saw him die. This sounds like nonsense. Peter, however, he gets up and he, and he runs to the grave and bending over, he saw the grave clothes laying there and he began to wonder to himself what had happened. Even though they had the promise, you know, even though Jesus had told them that he was going to be crucified, but he would be raised up on the third day, and they see the empty grave, and they wondered what had happened. 
You know, Jesus had told them that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, but on the third day, he would rise again. You know, have you ever felt that way? Circumstances seem so much more powerful than the promise. Our circumstances overrule truth. Our circumstance is so much more powerful than the promise that we have. Or the lie is easier to believe than the truth. Something happened. Something happened. Something happened to the disciples and something happened to Peter. In the bewilderment and the curiosity of the crowd... And against the backdrop of the story that was being circulated into Jerusalem, that the disciples had stole the body of Jesus, Peter stands up and he begins to address the crowd and he explains that what was happening was foretold by the prophet Joel. They would have been familiar with the prophecy. And what they were witnessing was indeed the outpouring of the promised Holy Spirit, which stood as a proof of the resurrection of Jesus in sharp contrast to the story that was being circulated. Jesus had said, it's to your advantage for me to go, referring to his crucifixion, because he says, unless I go, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, will not come. But I will send him to you, fulfilling the promise the prophetic promise of the word of Joel, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And if Jesus were not alive, they could not, he could not have sent the Holy Spirit, which they were all witnessing at that moment. Joel's prophecy has been fulfilled, and it ends with these incredible words. And now everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And now everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What an incredible statement. What an incredible statement. What about the sacrifices? What about the sacrifices to atone for sin? What about the sacrifices needed for failing to measure up, for failing to measure up to the law, all the purification rituals? What about it all? Something was different now. Suddenly... Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved because the price has been paid, sin's grip has been broken, death has been defeated, and the grave is empty. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, I will never forget the phone call I received a few years ago. When I tell you this story, you're going to go, what? Exactly like that. Everybody practices me. What? (laughs) But this is an absolutely true story. I may have shared it with some of you, I don't remember. But I remember the story so vividly. A young man uh, who I, I knew had just gone through a very, very traumatic moment in his life. And he was in bad, bad shape. He was very aware of being distant with God. And he began reading the Bible. But the interesting thing is he started in the Old Testament. And he read about the sacrifices which were needed to atone for sin. And he wanted to get right with God. And he knew, this is what he knew, he knew he was absolutely powerless to do anything about his situation. He was 
absolutely powerless to make any changes, and he knew it. He also believed that something, a sacrifice, was needed to pay for his sin and break the curse on his family. And he asked me, how do I do it? How do I do it? How do I build an altar? He's going to build an altar in his backyard. And then he says, and where do I purchase a lamb? True story. I had never had it. It blew me away. But I had the distinct joy, like Peter, of being able to tell him the truth about Jesus. And in verse 22, Peter begins to unfold the truth. He says to the people, people of Israel, listen to this. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. You know, there could be no mistake who Peter was talking about. They knew Jesus was a real person from the town of Nazareth. They had witnessed his life. They had witnessed the signs and and miracles that he did. And, and, And as Peter points out, he says, as you know yourselves. In other words, you know who I'm talking about. And he goes on to say, But God raised him from the dead, free him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. But God raised him, Jesus. That would be Jesus of Nazareth. That would be the Jesus whom we are accused of stealing his body. God raised that Jesus from the dead, free him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep him. Death could not hold him. The grave is empty. It could not contain him. Jesus Christ is risen. He is alive, amen? It was God's all plan all along. Jesus is alive. He has destroyed the power of sin and he has triumphed over the grave and death has lost its sting. And now everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everything is different now because Jesus Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give him glory, church. Give him glory. So Peter continues and refers to the prophetic word of David as another proof of the resurrection. David was one of their forefathers. He was one of the forefathers of faith. And and, and, and listen to what he said. Verse 25, David said to him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here today. 
But he was a prophet and knew that what God had promised him on oath, that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. Hallelujah. Then people, Peter drops the final bomb, the final proof of the resurrection. Verse 32, and he says, and we are all eyewitnesses to the fact that Jesus is alive. Thank you, Jesus. What happened to Peter and the disciples to move them from that place of being confused, saying, these words are nonsense? What happened here? What was it that empowered them to stand in the face of persecution in spite of what, you know, at threat of their lives? What empowered them? What changed them? They encountered the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and they were filled with the promised Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Amen? They encountered the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And Peter continues and he says, now he, that's Jesus, now he is exalted to the highest place of honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he has promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out on us just as you see and hear today. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, the one you said we stole his body, let everyone know this Jesus, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, let everyone know this Jesus whom you crucified is now both Lord and Savior. Jesus is alive. He is risen from the dead. There is no other name that can save anyone but the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. You know, if you've never encountered the risen Savior Jesus, you can do so today. You know, you can, you can meet him today. When the people heard that, the Bible says, when they heard the truth, they were cut. They were cut to the heart. And they said, what should we do? What should we do? And Peter answers and he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the very spirit of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, living in you, enabling you now to live as a witness of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Repent and be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ. And you will encounter the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Enabling you to live in new life. Amen? We live in an age of political correctness. Sometime, some time ago I was involved in a discussion with some, some community partners and the conversation was around uh, praying in public. It was concerning prayer in public. And the idea was put forward that if you're going to have public prayer, then to be fair, every group in the gathering should have a representative pray. 
doesn't matter what faith you're from. Every group, if we're going to have public prayer, then every group should have a representative pray. Sounds real good, right? Sounds politically correct, right? I declare to you this morning, I declare to you with more, this morning with every fiber of being that I have, there is a name. There is a name, church. There is a name that is above every other name. There is a name that gives hope to the hopeless. There is a name where the blind see, the lame walk, and the sick are healed. There is a name that brings freedom to those who are in captivity, the wounded and the bruised. Death could not hold him. The grave could not contain him. His name is Jesus, and he is alive. Amen? There is a name above every other name. His name is Jesus. He reigns above all, over all, and through all. There is no situation so powerful that he won't break through. There is no place so dark that his light cannot come in. Amen? He has risen from the dead and he will raise you up. The same spirit that lives in him will raise you from your place of captivity. Amen? Because the name of Jesus is above all and over all. And he reigns and he rules. Amen? Jesus has risen from the dead. He is alive and because he lives he will come again that where he is, we may be with him as well. Hallelujah. Not over are we made alive, but we have a future to look forward. Amen? Oh, give him glory, church. Give him glory. Yeah, give glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So again, if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, to be your Lord and Savior. You can do that today. Just simply talk to me after the service or, or talk to Andrew who will be there or talk to somebody. Don't leave this place without receiving the greatest gift that you can. I'm going to be right over there at the end of the service. You come talk to me, okay? And if you want prayer, please, someone will come and pray with you. And uh, if you're watching online, please email us at prayer at uh, grandvalleychurch.ca. We love you, but more than us, Jesus loves you. Let's pray for a minute. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank you that you came, that you endured the cross, that you died, that you were buried, but you rose again from the dead. You reign and you rule. And because you do, we have hope. We have life. Everything has changed. And we simply need to call on you, Father, to receive that new life through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your gift of Jesus. And we just, uh, that's all I want to say this morning, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And the church said, Amen.